Thank you, Buddy and Kelly. It's good to see each one of you here this morning. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me back to the passage that Brother Bobby read with us this morning, Matthew chapter 17. I want to share with you a great piece of wisdom from a very reliable source. Friday night, Debbie and I went out to eat Chinese food. When we finished and I opened my fortune cookie, I read, before every mountain is a valley. Now, while it can not always be said that the things you read in a fortune cookie are good advice, this happens to be true not only geographically, but spiritually. We probably have all had mountaintop spiritual experiences. It may have been at teen camp. It might have been an especially moving worship service. Or maybe it was sometime that we were able to serve in an especially gratifying way. Or even an unspeakably holy private moment that we spent with the Lord. But in those moments, we would like for time to stand still. We would like to be able to linger in those moments forever. Wouldn't it be great if all of life could be lived on the mountaintop, spiritually speaking? But the truth is that life is not lived on the mountaintop. Life is primarily lived in the valley. It's from the spiritual mountaintop experiences that we gain the encouragement and strength to be able to face the difficult times that come in the valley. Today we're going to very deliberately dwell on the majesty and awesomeness of the God whom we serve. We all have our share of hardships and sicknesses and problems, but God also allows us to experience a few mountaintop experiences through life in which we are able to see His glory and His power at work. As we left the disciples back in chapter 16 and verse 21, the, the disciples were staggered by the revelation that Jesus was going to suffer. In fact, He was going to suffer many things, and He was going to be put to death, but He would rise again. Also, in this chapter, we found that it was at this time that the Lord issued a call for self-denial and complete obedience. But he also tells the crowd in the end of that chapter, those who have assembled to hear him teach and preach, that some of them will not die before they see the glory of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus takes his inner circle of three disciples up on the mountaintop, where they're going to have a spiritual experience that they will remember for the rest of their lives. So I want you to look with me this morning as we glean three things about mountaintop spiritual experiences from this text. First of all, I want to see the purpose of mountaintop experiences. Verse 1 says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. 
Again, the final verse of chapter 16 read, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And as I pointed out in the last message, I believe that what Jesus taught, was talking about was that the three disciples who are going up on the mountain with Him will literally see the glory of His kingdom. In verse 1, Matthew says that it is Peter, James, and John who are led up onto that mountaintop. Now note, not all the disciples had the mountaintop experience. And we're really not told why these three disciples are those who experience it. But I believe that they were probably chosen because they were the ones who were going to need it the most. Now let's look at who they are. They're Peter. Peter, who would become the spokesman for the group. There is John, the apostle, who will live the longest. And there is James, who will be the first of the apostles to die for his faith. Matthew tells us that Jesus led them up on the mountain by themselves. The text doesn't really tell us which mountain, and there's a lot of discussion among the commentaries about it. Some commentators believe that it's Mount Tabor, but that's highly unlikely because at the time that Jesus was teaching, there was a Roman fortress on the top of Mount Tabor. It's more likely that it was Mount Hermon, the highest mountain in that area, but regardless of which one it was, it was isolated, and it was a place where they could be alone with God. In order to have intimate fellowship with God, it is often necessary to seek a place of seclusion from this world and its influences. And I believe the reason that you and I do not experience more mountaintop experiences is that we get too caught up with what's going on, our li- going on in our lives in the here and now. And we don't allow any time to be alone with God. Luke, in his account, tells us that Jesus began to pray when they arrived at the top of the mountain. Repeatedly, our Lord <clears throat> took his disciples and went aside to a private place of prayer and rest and instruction. And each of us needs a place and a time of retreat into solitude where we can listen for and hear the voice of God and what he would say to us. It's possible for For us even today to have experiences with God that will bring enlightenment and encouragement into our lives in order that we might face the crises that come into our lives. Not only the purpose, however, of the mountaintop experience, I want you to see, secondly, the privilege of the mountaintop experience. Luke tells us that the disciples are weary after the climb up the mountain, And evidently, as Jesus prayed, they fell asleep. But when they awoke, it was to a very startling and surprising and spectacular scene before their eyes. First of all, Jesus is transfigured before them. It says in verse 2, And he was transfigured before them. His His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. The reason that his clothes became brilliant was because of the light that was emanating from his body. The word transfigured 
is the word that we get our English word metamorphosis from. When the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured, it means that he became on the outside what he already was on the inside. For a brief moment, the veil of his humanity was lifted and his true essence was allowed to shine forth. That glory which was in the depths of his being rose up to the surface for that one time in his earthly life. And the reason that this is so important is because it confirms his deity. It confirms that he was indeed the Son of God. The psalmist used similar language to describe God. In Psalm 104, in verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. who cover yourself with light as a garment. Daniel used that same language to describe the one he saw seated on the throne of heaven. In Daniel 7, 9, he wrote, I watched till thrones were put in place, And the Ancient of Days was seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheel a burning fire. Likewise, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos used the same language to describe the one he saw seated on the throne of heaven. He wrote in Revelation 21, 23, The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The disciples were given then a glimpse of the glory that all of us as believers will behold when we get to heaven. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, and I'm reading this to you this morning from the New International Version, It says, and the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The Bible uses that same word that it's translated transfigured here to describe the change in a believer's life when they receive Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 2, or chapter 12, verse 2, the believer is not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed or transfigured by the renewing of your mind. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are told that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We're being transfigured into the same image of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 8.29 and 30, we are told that believers are predestined to be conformed, transfigured into the image of His Son. When we're saved, our lives should begin to take on the image of Jesus Christ, and day by day we are to become more and more like Him. Secondly, they saw the prophets Elijah and Moses. It says in verses 3 and 4, beginning verse 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them there talking with him. These were two of the greatest figures from Israel's history. How did the disciples, though, know who they were? There were no photographs. There were no 
portraits that had been painted of these two men. And Elijah had been dead for 900 years, and Moses has been dead for over 1,500 years. Well, maybe Jesus introduced them, you know. Moses and Elijah, I'd like for you to meet some of my disciples, James and John and Peter. Men, I'd like for you to meet Moses and Elijah. Or perhaps they just knew intuitively who they were. If you've ever wondered if we're going to know each other in heaven, I think this passage really speaks to that and removes any doubt that we will maintain our individuality, our individual identities in heaven. Furthermore, I believe that when we get to heaven, we'll not only recognize each other, but we will recognize the great saints of old. But why of all the prophets that are listed in the Old Testament, is it Moses and Elijah who appear? Well, I can't tell you for sure, but Moses was a symbol of the law. He had a mountaintop experience himself on Mount Sinai, and he represents all those who travel through the veil of death to reach heaven. Elijah was, was certainly a great spokesman for all of the Old Testament prophets. He also had a previous mountaintop experience on Mount Horeb. And he represents all those who get to heaven without death, as in the rapture. Moses died, and Elijah was taken directly into heaven. Does that ring any bells with you? The transfiguration was a preview of the rapture of the saints at the second coming of Christ. Moses and Elijah represent the two categories of people who will be claimed by Jesus on his return. Moses represents all those who will be taken in death, and Elijah represents all those taken in the rapture. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then though we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Matthew says that these special guests, Moses and Elijah, were talking to Jesus. But Luke tells us what they were talking about. So let me invite you to turn over to Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. Luke chapter 9 and verse 31. Keep your, keep your place there in Matthew 17. Luke 9, 31. This verse says, And they spoke of his decease which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Some versions translate the word decease as departure. The word departure is used interchangeably in the Bible to convey the idea of death. Just before he died, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. So what these two great men of old were talking about was Jesus' death on the cross. 
But notice the word accomplish in that verse. His death on the cross was not a disaster. It was not a mistake. It was not an accident. But rather it was the accomplishment of that which he came into this world to to do. I think that these great men of God discussed how the death of Christ was the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption for mankind. Now Peter is the first of the disciples to react to the events that are going on around him. And in verse 4 we read, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let me make three tabernacles or tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The wonder and awe of that moment was overwhelming. When God does something unexpected, something outside the realm of our experience, words fail us. Mark tells us that Peter did not know what to say. He was terrified. But Peter was one of those guys that not having something to say never really stopped him from saying something. Peter was the kind of guy who feels that his job to fill every moment of silence with some verbal observation. And I think all of us fall into that trap sometime or other in our lives. And so Peter says, if you wish, let us make three tabernacles, for one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <clears throat> I don't know for sure what Peter's intent was, but surely implied here in making these tabernacles is the desire to remain that we have already talked about. When we experience this spiritual mountaintop experience, we, we want to remain, we want to linger. Peter and the other disciples wanted to prolong this great moment on the mountaintop. There's a danger with uh, mountaintop experiences and wanting to leave because we, we don't want to leave. But I also want you to realize that Peter was, perhaps inadvertently here, Peter was putting Jesus on the same level as, Ma- as Moses and Elijah. That's the same thing that Islam does with Jesus today. Put him on the same level with other prophets. Yet the tremendous experience on the mountaintop was not designed to produce a spiritual experience just for the emotional satisfaction of the disciples. We have to guard our hearts lest we come to interpret our own spiritual experiences with God in terms of something we're just supposed to enjoy. They are there for our purpose. They are there to lead us that we might be ready to serve. But while Peter is speaking, he's still speaking, God interrupts him. And his thoughts of building tabernacles, when quite literally a cloud overshadows them. Verse 5. Verse 5 we read, And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This is the Shekinah glory of God. That was the visible symbol of the power and the presence of God. We see it throughout the Old Testament. This was the cloud that led 
the children of Israel in the wilderness. The cloud by day, fire by night. This is the cloud that covered the tabernacle when it was finished. This is the cloud that filled the temple of Solomon when it was completed. It is the same cloud that Ezekiel watched depart from the temple because of the apostasy of Israel. But here's the important thing. The Shekinah glory has not been seen in Israel for 600 years. And now it surrounds them on the mountain. Next we see a voice spoke to them. As the cloud settled on the top of the mountain, out of the cloud booms the very voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. It was a gentle rebuke to Peter, because the Father did not say anything about Elijah and Moses. He said, This is my Son. Hear him. God does not tolerate Peter or anybody else placing Jesus on the same level as the other prophets. Do you remember when your mother used to say to you or ask you, Do you hear me? Now, they really weren't asking you if you had the physical ability to hear, were they? They were really talking to you about your willingness to obey. And this was a command from the Father. This is my Son. Listen to Him. Hear Him. The writer of Hebrews explained in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Peter never forgot this experience. For speaking of this experience many, many years later, he wrote in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, For we do not follow <clears throat> cunningly devised fables, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. Such, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Not only the privilege of the mountaintop experience, but finally, <clears throat> the perspective of the mountaintop experience. Matthew says in verse 6 and 7, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. Initially, <clears throat> the disciples were overwhelmed, they were stunned. They were frightened. They fell to the ground. They didn't fall to the ground because they were cowards. They fell to the ground because they were smart. That's what happens when one finds themselves in the presence of God. This was an experience they were never to forget. 
Peter tells us that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Luke says the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Matthew said, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. And then in verse 8 we read, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Before they realized it, the cloud passed away. And when the visitors were gone, and the voice of heaven was no longer heard, only Jesus remained. God allows us to have mountaintop experiences so that we will get our eyes fixed on the Lord. There was joy on the mountaintop, but as we will see in the next study, there was need down in the valley. We can't live on the mountaintop. We must climb the mountain and experience intimate fellowship with God, but then we must take what we've gained on the mountaintop back down into the valley where the need is. We must witness the glory of God on the mountaintop so that we can minister to the misery of man down in the valley. At the bottom of the mountain, there is always a suffering, needy world that needs the ministry of those who have been on the mountaintop with God. We must meet God both in our secret place and our private time of worship and also in our public place of worship so that we can meet the sinful and needy world in the marketplace outside these doors. But let me just end by saying, one day, all those who have placed their faith and hope in Jesus will see Him resplendent in all His glory. And it's going to make His garments on the day of transfiguration seem dingy by comparison. One day, all of creation is going to stand before the throne of God. And as John says in the book of Revelation, they're going to declare, Holy, holy, holy. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for a glimpse at of the glory of your Son. We need those mountaintop experiences with you. We need the encouragement that we gain there. There's some here this morning that may be needing a touch of encouragement. They're discouraged by <clears throat> the difficulties and problems of life. They just need a glimpse of your glory. Help us, Lord, to value those times that you give us just a tiny hint of your glory, but help us not to just take those things selfishly and for our own enjoyment, but to use them as encouragement to serve others. Father, there may be one here this morning that doesn't know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. They've never taken the time to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Maybe this morning they've come to realize that they are indeed a sinner, as we all are. They recognize <clears throat> that if you were to call them home today, they would have no reason or an expectation that they would spend eternity in heaven with you. Help them to understand that they can unload all that sin and all that guilt today. 
Jesus has already paid the price, the penalty for their sin. All they need to do is turn to you right now in the quietness of this time. Ask that you would forgive them and accept what Jesus did on the cross on their behalf. Those of us who have accepted you as our personal Savior, we want to walk intimately with you. Help us to so arrange our, our lives that that becomes a priority in our lives. And then help us, Lord, to take those times of private worship and public worship that encourage us and see them not just to our own advantage, but see them as how you equip us to do the work that is necessary here in this world of need. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.